0: Hey, this is Nate Imig. Just heads up, this episode contains conversation about a cold case and an apparent murder. We hear directly from family members, and we also examine official case files with descriptions of the case. On September 13th, 1967, James Spencer, a.k.a. Roger Dallas Wetham, age 30, was found dead in the Eastway Motel at 636 North Van Buren Street in downtown Milwaukee. He had been stabbed multiple times. Spencer's body was cremated shortly afterwards against his mother's wishes and while the crime was still actively being investigated. He was well-known and popular in Milwaukee's gay community, but vicious rumors about his demise spread like wildfire. Family and friends prayed for justice that never came. Those are the words of Be co-host Michael Takash in a piece published at OnMilwaukee.com in 2021. He had been researching the murder of James Spencer in the years leading up to that story being published and is still looking for answers today with the family. Both the family and Michael say they have contacted Milwaukee police and the cold case unit multiple times over the last two years, but those emails and calls have gone unanswered. In this episode, we bring everything we know about this cold case out into the open in the hopes that somebody who knows something might step forward. Radio Milwaukee has also contacted Milwaukee police and will update this story if there is new information to share.
1: The scary and sad thing about this particular case is that I would heard and seen glimpses of it over the past 15 years. I had heard passing references to it. I had heard rumors about it. I had heard little tidbits here and there, but I hadn't really pieced them all together. I had heard about a bar owner who couldn't keep his hands off the young ones and a young man who wound up dead on East Wisconsin Avenue as a result. I heard about you know, a hot little number who was really, really popular for a really short period of time until somebody bumped him off because they were jealous that he was too popular. So when the family came forward, looking for help, looking for anyone, who could help them piece together this really tragic story, which culminated in the murder of James Spencer in September of 1967. You know, it kind of was this light bulb moment where it was like, this is the case, this is the person, this is the family. And then suddenly it all kind of fell in line with what we believe actually happened.
0: Michael and I first speak with Carla Mitchell, James Spencer's niece. You'll also hear from her husband, Patrick, later in this interview, and how he met Wally Wetham, his much older and adoptive father and owner of the Black Knight Bar.
2: Okay, hi, my name is Carla Mitchell. My uncle is Jimmy Spencer. At the time he passed, I was six years old, but I just remember him being the fun uncle. Um, He grew up with a single mom and... He chose to do the Air Force or Army right after high school, and um, he was just a loving uncle, always taking us kids to the park and spending time with us, and then that was pretty much it. All of a sudden, we lost contact, and um, it was a very quiet, quiet situation at our house. My mom never talked about it, his death, and so we kind of let it go and let it go, and uh, as we got older, we asked more questions, whatever happened to him, and Then it finally came out that he was killed.
0: So how did he meet Wally with him?
2: Well, like I said, he was gay, um, my uncle. And I'm sure probably, I don't know for sure, but hanging out at the gay bars, I have no idea. That is something I wish I would have known, but I really don't know how that came about
0: did your Did your family have any contact with with Jimmy while he was living with the Weathams? And
2: when my grandma found out that he was had been adopted by him at I forgot what the age was, either eighteen or twenty, my grandma was so upset because he changed his name.
1: so you know the concept of a grown man who is employed and has completed military service being adopted by a married couple is very strange, right? Like even today, this is strange. Oh yeah. And I don't think it was any less strange in 1965, but I mean, what reason would your uncle have to need to be adopted for any reason? Like for legal reasons, financial reasons, health reasons, like, is there any, anything you can think of that would justify this adoption? I mean, do you find it as strange as I do?
2: Oh, very strange. Um, well, he grew up without a dad. I'm not saying that's what he was looking for. So I don't know if he's looking for Love in Wally because he was an older guy. I don't know where I heard this from. I'll have to go through. I've got everything, all the emails and everything. Um, but back in the 60s, it was not unusual for a young or an older man to adopt a younger man as a cover for the homosexuality. So the neighbors wouldn't speak of a... Uh, man showing up at the house that he was living there
0: but he had a wife during this too right oh yeah I know this has got to be difficult to talk about but you know share as much as you're comfortable with sharing how did your family learn that he was killed and what do you remember about that day
2: I all I remember is my grandma and my mom and my aunt were all together in Milwaukee and it was not good something was going on but they kept us all in the basement. There was a lot of crying, screaming, and I really believe that was the day that they found out that he was killed. I don't know. I just remember being in the basement, crying with my sisters and wondering what happened. And then we found out after that that he was killed. Growing up, we heard he was stabbed over 30 times, but reading the autopsy, it wasn't that many times, but um, he was seen walking into the motel that he was That and then Wally Weatham was the one who was called in to identify him. I don't know why my grandma wasn't, but I'm sure he was on his next of kin. We just think it was a bad breakup.
0: And Did your grandmother, or aunts, or your mother take any? personal action to investigate the murder?
2: My aunt hired a private investigator, but like the times when I called the Milwaukee detective, they, his files were all thrown away. There's no nothing left of his, as with many others. They said they had no room in the warehouse for unsolved mysteries that far back. But it pretty much was just in the paperwork. It was thrown out of the swept under the rug put it that way first of all being he was gay and second of all in my heart i i feel like i know who who did it but i don't know for a fact but it, everything leads to this one person
0: do you feel like there was any uh cover-up i mean do you have any reason to believe that the police maybe um weren't as forthcoming as they could have been
2: oh yes, yeah, definitely definitely i do Yep.
0: What, what makes you feel that way?
2: Well, just by the one time I talked to the detective and just by looking at the police reports of when it happened and you know, they had DNA. They had stuff under his nails. They, but nothing was ever processed.
0: How did this lack of closure affect your family?
2: Well, it's not been well with me or my sister. There's five of us left I really want to do this for my mom and my sister, Cheryl, because we talked about it often, my sisters and I, and we've just, that was always, always our topic.
0: This the, the case is so old um, and you feel like you're at this dead end. Um, what will you do next?
2: I don't know. Find out where he's buried. If he is buried somewhere, that would be the most that we could ask for. You know, just to find out where he's buried and move him over to my ma. And then I will feel peace because I know she will, I don't know, she will be complete then if her brother is with her.
0: Um, This can be off the record, but do you believe it was Wally?
2: Yes. I would say 95% because they broke up. My uncle left him, moved into a motel. The next day he's dead. So... I would think it would be him, uh, unless it was somebody else that Wally hired to get rid of him. I have no idea.
0: Michael, of course, our thanks to Carla Mitchell and her husband, Patrick. Next, we're going to speak with the Milwaukee County Historical Society's Steve Schaffer, who, Michael, you've been in contact with years, and he actually helped uncover some of those original case files in your search.
1: Yeah, it was quite grateful that Steve reached out. He recognized that something was very unusual in this case. He spoke to a friend who was a former detective, and they agreed, you know, kind of professionally speaking, that something was just not right with this body of, of investigation.
0: Next on B scene, our conversation with Schaffer and the suspicious details enclosed in that case file after the break. Hey, Wisconsin foodies. This is
3: Tariq Moody of Radio Milwaukee. Join Milwaukee Magazine's food writer, Ann Christensen, and myself every Friday morning at 8 a.m. for This Spites, Milwaukee's longest-running culinary podcast. We talk about everything from new restaurants, pop-ups, cookbooks, events, and even an occasional interview with a local chef. Head over to RadioMilwaukee.org slash This Spites or listen anywhere you get your podcasts. My name is Steve Schaffer. I'm the archivist at the Milwaukee County Historical Society.
0: I guess explain the order because Michael was explaining how this uh, came to the history project, how it came to you, how the family reached out to you first. Uh,
3: the, the researcher, her name was Carla. Um, she was the uh, niece of the guy. Uh, his name was James Spencer, but he went by uh, Roger uh, Wheaton, um in Milwaukee. And, and he had moved out of Green Bay area. She knew that he had to move because he was gay, but they never knew what happened to him in Milwaukee. They, they know that, that he died, but there was no talk in the family about what happened or any of his experiences. So um, I did a search. We have coroner's reports uh, from the 1960s and his name came up and um, that's, that's when we, were able to determine that he had been you know in fact brutally murdered um, in a downtown uh, hotel. and that kind of kicked the whole thing off.
0: How did you go about breaking that news to the family? And was well, it was it you I, that I, did it?
3: Yeah, um, I, I'm sure that they were upset, you know, to say the least, but they were she was also very relieved and I think it, it was actually a closure uh for them and it and it gave her some peace of mind, you know, to know what happened and, and to finally understand her her uncle's uh you know short life and and his story. Um so they they were very forthright and um it, it wasn't I didn't get the impression they were devastated so much as relieved.
0: So talk through how how the connection then moved to the Wisconsin LGBT Q History Project. How did you hook up with Michael and and begin to seek more answers for this story?
3: I was really struck by the the violence of the um, of the attack. I mean, the the police were thinking it was a uh, a, a burglary or robbery gone bad, but I, I mean, it was just such a um, you know violent, and the attack was repeated uh, knife knife stabbings, almost sixteen to twenty. Um, And the fact that uh, uh, Carla had mentioned that he was gay, that he was attacked in such a brutal way, I thought it was either a hate crime or just a murder. Um, I just, I I threw it at him. I think I said something like, hey, I I got this case. What do you think about it? And... um, he he seemed to to know right away um, the the principles involved at least the person who was this uh, victim's adopted father, uh, Wally Weetham. and then um, Michael kind of uh, took it from there, and then we it just snowballed. That we started to look for name changes, and we looked for other uh, information. Weetham had been divorced twice, um, so he was a married man. He adopted this this uh, guy, James Spencer. Um, but, but there were obviously no adoption records. It was very informal. They were adults. It, there may have been some legal thing with a lawyer, but we'll never know that.
0: So was there an attempt to reach the Milwaukee police and find any, if there were any records of this of this homicide?
3: Well, because it was a cold case, they won't discuss it or give out any information. So... It, it seems like short of some kind of, you know, DNA discovery or something like that, it'll just remain a cold case forever. But it's treated as a homicide okay? because, you know, yeah, because I mean, he was clearly, whether it was a burglar or a lover, he was stabbed 16 times. So it's a, they consider it a homicide.
0: Would you be able to share some of the details that, that made this such a horrendous crime? I pulled the coroner's report in anticipation of the
3: interview. So, um, let me see. Um, there are, by count, six oval-shaped wounds. There was a laceration to the right upper lateral arm, which was, I guess, kind of a defensive um, move. And then there were thirteen counted oval-shaped lacerations to the mid and upper back. So it was a, a repeated stabbing. Um, that that was another thing. They didn't they didn't find. The murder weapon, um, and um, I, you know, so th- there wasn't. They, I, I think they felt there wasn't much much to go on. But but you know, obviously the the, the photographs were of a naked man um, laying on his back
0: um, in in this hotel room. So, looking at how this was investigated, just in your opinion, um, do you feel like? It wasn't looked into as extensively as as other cases might have definitely,
3: been. Definitely, definitely. I just you know like as I said in in other cases, and I mean there may be police records that are in this case that that I'm not aware of, but I know that in other murder cases that were in coroner's inquiries, there is the testimony and the questioning that the officers administered to. You know, their testimony and then their their questioning of 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 witnesses and suspects. and there was none of that in here. There wasn't even any short uh, description of of their discussion with the cleaning person who found the body. Um, you know, they just said she came in the morning, thought thought that Mr. Spencer was sleeping, came back in the afternoon, opened the door, and then found him. So there was no questioning about who he had seen uh if she had noticed any other activity if she had noticed that you know uh Wally Weatham was around a lot if there had been fighting uh, you know and and that would have been questions for the for the manager as well and and for that matter other people in the hotel because i mean this was a murder this wasn't a just a robbery this was a murder somebody died and there just didn't seem to be Um, the the level of scrutiny that I've seen in other cases.
1: Looking over the records, one of the things that the family thought was unusual, and I certainly agreed, was the involvement of the FBI. Was that unusual to you at all, that the FBI would be involved in a homicide?
3: Yeah. um, I have to look through the... Because I, I I saw something that said b b of I but it set, looked like it said so uh, Larry uh, von Maastricht of the Milwaukee B of I so that would be the Milwaukee is that is that what you're talking about Michael that particular line does that does that mean to you like Milwaukee Bureau of the FBI
1: well, it does, and the FBI actually did get involved because there was a case number assigned, and we followed up with it um, through foAI. Mm. requests and it came back that yes there was a file and yes there were samples taken and they were pretty intimate genetic samples i mean the the places that they scraped and the things that they took were not you know
3: oh yeah here we go they were here we go
1: yeah they were rather yeah they were it was a rather intensive scrub of the crime scene and what we found was that the samples were later either lost or destroyed but that they had no trace of them
3: yeah, that's interesting because I've, I've just found the paragraph. And if you don't mind, I can I can read what what it says. And that kind of backs up what you were saying. So it says fingernail scrapings, pelvic organs, and anal matter uh, material was removed at autopsy by a doctor for further studies by FBI. Um, and this was requested by police officials. Um, and then it just, this other one, Larry Von Maastricht of the Milwaukee B of I, uh, now, I'm not sure if that's really the FBI. He took a right index fingerprint. He also took additional photographs. He advised that the deceased had been booked many times since 1959. The latest arrest was March of 67. Unfortunately, we didn't find any of those in our jail registers, and I, I'm not, you know, I'd like to go over them again, but uh, we looked for both Spencer and uh, Weatham.
1: Another thing I was hoping you might be able to speak to was the um, impressions or takeaways that you had about Wally Weatham, just,
3: just from the, um, the, the court cases, and, and Michael, my, my opinion of him is a little jaded by our conversations, but if I were to look just at his record as far as the cases, he seemed to have um, you know some, some kind of alcohol problems. He was repeatedly married and divorced. He didn't seem to be able to maintain uh, that type of relationship, and he was um, sued for for uh, what was called a money demand. So, in other words, he was he was he owed money to people, and he was sued. So, I would say that he had a, uh, at best, you know, chaotic and and uh, you know rather unpleasant. Uh, life. If you look just at his at his uh,
0: court cases, is this just going to remain a cold case, or has have we done pretty much everything we can do? Or is there still more to to the story that that could be uncovered?
2: Well,
3: I mean that's that's where it has to pick up from from just the archives. I mean, we have you know the the material at the Milwaukee County Historical Society was you know, are the are the building blocks or the information that can be used to to further investigate the case. I don't think there's going to be anything else here that that would that I would find that would be able to to break it open. And you know, as a policy, we are we are the administrators and the caretakers of these public records. So anybody can come and look at these. This isn't something that's restricted uh the photographs aren't restricted um so anybody could come and pursue this case and that's really what it what it would what it would take and really the the only other the only other people that can really help out are the police um because they they have the information and they seem to have it tight as a drum and i think the only thing and maybe michael will back me up is that there is some type of like con- conclusive DNA evidence, but I don't I don't know that that would exist in in anything. There would have to be some of, you know, there, there'd have to be some of Weatham's I don't know how that stuff works, but that would be the only other way that you could probably, um, you know, advance this case.
0: And this, Michael, truly is a cold case. It's it's made the research even more difficult. A lot of the folks um, involved in the story are no longer with us
1: exactly wally wetham died in the early 70s Uh, the story is that he drank himself to death and returned to upstate new york to die his wife um, who would probably be the last one to hold all of these secrets passed away in northern california um, about 10 years ago he has a daughter but i don't believe his daughter ever even knew him i think she was raised by her maternal grandparents and of course you know the bar patrons of this era if they were not impacted by the aids epidemic um, are now in their 80s and 90s if they're still with us at all so you know there's there's really no one left the police officers involved in the investigation the police chief the fbi agents um, the newspaper reporters who challenged the milwaukee police department on why there were so many cold cases in this particular window of time All gone all of these people are gone and what's left behind are these survivors who are struggling to piece together these fragments with no single person to ask
0: well of course one of the reasons why we're talking about this in BC in season two is just the off chance the hope that somebody in Milwaukee might know something about this case Um, you're still actively researching and looking for leads so can people contact you Michael if, if they might know more sure The family
1: is very, very interested in knowing what happened and not to proceed with prosecution or to seek restitution, but literally to put their loved one to rest. We have to keep in mind that James Spencer's remains are still missing 56 years later. No one knows his final resting place. No one knows where he wound up. And with that in mind, the family just wants to understand, you know, maybe not so much what happened anymore but how to put his remains at rest and how to put his spirit at peace. If anyone did have information, recollections, memories, connections that would help in achieving those goals, they can reach us at wislgbtqhistory at gmail.com.
0: All right. Well, that'll do it for B scene Season 2. Dang. Um, this was such a pleasure, Michael, to team up once again with the Wisconsin LGBTQ History Project. Radio Milwaukee is just thrilled to partner on this. And if you're just joining us here in this episode, check out the previous episodes from Be Scene Season 2 plus B scene Season 1, which I'll mention was just recognized as Best Podcast, the Silver Award from the Milwaukee Press Club. Check out previous episodes, get subscribed, and uh, we might have some surprise bonuses coming later this year.
1: And thank you. This was an excellent experience and um, really a great way of connecting people with this history and heritage that has been so long unseen.
2: This is Kiri Salinas, audio production manager at Radio Milwaukee, giving a special thanks to Nate Emig, executive producer and co host of Be Seen, along with Michael Takash, the curator at Wisconsin LGBTQ History Project, Brett Krasgowski, our web editor. Segment producer, Salam Fatayer. Thank you to the marketing team led by Sarah Lahr. Dan Reiner, our digital marketing manager. Aaron Bagata, the creative marketing manager. Thank you to Radio Milwaukee's community engagement team, DJ Brewer and Mallory Wallace. Our program directors, Dori Zori with 88.9 and Tariq Moody with Hyphen. And last but not least, thank you to Maxi Jackson, the executive director at Radio Milwaukee.